Hi, this is Colin McCallan. Thank you for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you. Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hebbets. November greetings to our listeners. This is Colin McCallan, and as always, I'm joined by my partner, Russell Hebbets. Happy happy early Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I am grateful for the fact that Thanksgiving is coming. That's always a fun time of year. Um, This is another episode of Is This Legal? And um, this is where you got your two favorite lawyers who are going to break down some goings-on uh, in legal Go- news. Goings-ons. Yeah, goings-ons. Is yeah. that the proper plural? Yeah, it's okay. plural. There plural. you go, the goings-ons. <laughs> uh, so we are going to do a part two, um, picking up where we left off from last podcast. We're going to talk about Caitlin Armstrong. Um, the uh, As we are recording this right now, uh, her murder trial has been completed. The jury has the case. We do not have a verdict yet. That that could come later on this afternoon uh, after the release of this podcast. But right. we thought it would be a good opportunity for us to recap this trial. Uh, just to remind you, you should uh, if if you haven't listened yet, you can go back to uh, episode one hundred six. That was the previous episode from this one where we we recorded that episode. Right after opening statements were made, but before we heard any testimony. So it was right at the beginning of the trial where both sides were kind of explaining what they expected uh, the trial to, how, how they expected the trial to unfold. So now we're at the point where the jury actually has the case. That means that all of the evidence has been presented, all of the arguments have been made, closing arguments have been made, and the jury is now back in a room somewhere deliberating. Yep. So they're right now trying to figure out if Caitlin Armstrong is guilty or not guilty. Literally, right now. Right, yeah, as, we, as we're recording. And what we're going to do on this podcast, we're going to talk about what evidence came in, we're going to talk about what the prosecution put forward in their arguments, but what we're really going to dive into on this is the defense. What the defense did, how they set up their defense, what they elicited from different witnesses, what witnesses they called, and whether or not that was a successful strategy. Yeah, we merely touched on that on the previous episode. We really kind of focused on uh, what evidence we were going to learn from the prosecution. And honestly, we didn't really exactly know where the defense was going to go, but uh, we're going to be in a position to talk about that. So, um, Russ, let's just do the really quick, bare bones, three minute recap of what we have here. Right, we're talking about a homicide that took place uh, May eleventh of two thousand twenty-two in Austin, Texas. The victim of that homicide is uh, professional cyclist Mo Wilson. Um, a, a very, uh, by all accounts, an amazing talent. Uh, in the off-road cycling scene, she had won a bunch of races with building a name for herself. Hey, for, we never mentioned this, but for anyone in Colorado who knows, she actually came in second in the Leadville 100, oh. which is just a really famous yeah. bike race here in Colorado. It's a mountain bike race. A mountain bike, uh, 100, 100 miles. miles. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, so pretty amazing talent. She is gunned down in an East Austin apartment where she was temporarily staying, getting ready for a ride that she was going to do in the Austin area. She gets gunned down that night. And, um, the uh, person who gets charged with that is Caitlin Armstrong. Uh, Caitlin Armstrong is a romantic rival, according to the prosecution of Mo Wilson, because both of these women were involved at one point or another with another person by the name of Colin Strickland. Um, we talked about all of this again in the previous podcast, but that's what we're talking about. Um, so Russ, why, why do the prosecution bare bones? Why do they think that, uh, Caitlin Armstrong is the perpetrator of this crime? Here's top level evidence that the prosecution had that the prosecution presented. They had evidence that Caitlin Armstrong's Jeep was circling around this apartment where Mo Wilson was staying around the time of her murder. How did they know that Russ? They knew that from tracking information, GPS information internally from the Jeep. That's right. So they the tracked Jeep that. computer. Right. Then they had the gun that was used to kill Mo Wilson. Um, that was the same type of gun that Caitlin Armstrong had, and the casings, the marks on it, were consistent with that specific weapon 
being fired being the murder weapon? Yeah, that was a six-hour P-65, and the state ballistics expert basically said that uh, it was very likely that that was the gun that was used in the commission of this crime. And we'll go into that in a little bit further detail later on in this podcast, but they also had DNA evidence on Mo Wilson's bike, which was found at the scene. And that DNA evidence was Caitlin Armstrong's DNA on that bike. Let's talk about that for just a second, Russ, because we we really didn't get into that at all uh, when we did the uh, previous episode because we didn't know too much about it. But at at the trial, as Russ just stated, there was uh, evidence that came out uh, from uh, forensic tech that indicated they tested this bike, that the very nice road bike, that was found 20 yards from the apartment where Mo Wilson was killed in some bushes. Like it had been hidden, perhaps. We don't know. But they tested this bike, um, and they found Caitlin Armstrong's DNA profile on both the handlebar as well as the seat post of this bike. Right. So there's a direct link to Caitlin Armstrong's DNA to the crime scene. Now, Russ... Did 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 either the prosecution or the defense address the significance of the bike in terms of where it was found or why it was put there? I, you know, I looked for that and I did not find anything as to why it was twenty yards away in bushes. Right, like that evident that testimony came out, but no one really talked about why that might be. What was kind of significant is that uh, so Caitlin Cash. Uh, Caitlin Cash is the person who owns the apartment where Mo Wilson was staying. It was her friend who eventually discovered Mo shot to death. She's the one who said, hey, that bike was moved. Uh, right. the, the bike was somewhere else. Uh, it certainly wasn't placed in the bushes 20 yards away. Well, maybe, and I don't know who did that. Makes sense. No one's going to keep their $12,000 specialized yeah. road bike. Yeah, this wasn't a, like a, a 1950s Schwinn or something <laughs> that your grandpa it's used not to a ride. giant. Okay. <laughs> this, was, uh, this, is, this, is, this is a professional bike racer. These are carbon fiber, super expensive bikes. And there's, I, I, I'm a cyclist myself. I don't have a bike nearly that expensive, but I can tell you I would never leave my bike uh, in, in bushes uh, you know, away from my apartment. And of course, the implication there, Russ, is that the killer, right. for some reason, moved this bike to that location. Now, we were talking about why would someone do that? I'm kind of wondering out loud, maybe the killer wanted to make this look like a robbery, like uh, Mo Wilson surprised a burglary in process and she took the bike to lend evidence of that. I don't have any evidence of that. And I don't know if anybody does. All right. Here's one for you. Okay. So let's say- I'm ready to try it on for size. All right. So, I mean, you know, ancient Egypt, right? Tombs of- We're going way back. We're going way back. Tombs of kings. They they would put all of their worldly possessions in the tomb with them to take them to the afterlife. So they would have that. They'd even have servants kill themselves, right? And be in oh, the tomb wow. so they'd have servants. That's pretty selfish. Oh, oh yeah. It's But hey, they're, Wait, they're a big deal. They'd cram the servant in the... In, in not, the not in the sarcophagus. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. Like, is it like a big no, like a mass like grave? In the same room. So it's closed, you know? So, <laughs> so, 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 if, so if Caitlin Armstrong did commit this murder, maybe she didn't want more wilson to have her bike in the afterlife so she's like i'm moving this thing outside that is an amazing theory Thank you. russ and honestly i'm i'm, I'm surprised you on board? that no one argued that at the trial we, this is the first we're hearing of that theory and I'm, this is probably going to take off on this theory um but anyway so we, all really the significance is is that the bike was moved Right. Caitlin Armstrong's profiles on the bike it basically ties her directly to the crime scene 100 right um all right, so, so let's let's dive into it. Well, real quick, there's there's a few other things that the the prosecution's relying on. They called a couple of good friends of Caitlin Armstrong's, mm. uh, and those people basically testified that they had conversations that were somewhat uh, chilling in nature, where yep. Caitlin Armstrong is actually expressing an active desire to shoot or potentially harm or kill Mo yeah. Wilson, because yeah. you know at this point Caitlin knew that. Her boyfriend, was, Colin Strickland, was kind of involved with this person, right? even though he was claiming they're not. So um, there's, there's more, though. Guys. I mean, there's really more to this. Caitlin Armstrong turned her phone off um, right. during the time of the murder, um, and they found deleted notes on her phone indicating that she had looked up Mo Wilson's address in Austin the day before and deleted it. She had looked up a bunch of things. She had looked up things like... For bizarrely, does pineapple juice get rid of fingerprints? Right, a um, lot, lot of things that 
you would you would you would think an innocent person who wasn't planning to commit any nefarious acts wouldn't be looking up. Right, exactly. And of course we know what she did after the fact, right? We know that she's brought in for questioning yeah. the day after the murder. Um they the detectives in Austin, it's unclear if they really had zeroed in on her at that point. It it really all we know about that initial interview is they knew that she owned a Jeep that matched a description of the Jeep that was seen outside of Mo Wilson's apartment when she was killed. The police asked her about that, but they never arrested her. The day after she flies to Costa Rica under a fake name with her sister's passport, stays there for 43 days, gets plastic surgery, uh, uses the name Allison Page instead of Caitlin Armstrong, and is found in Costa Rica teaching yoga before she's extradited to the U.S. So, Russ, we can say... I think unequivocally, this looks really, really bad yeah, for cer- Caitlin Armstrong. It's I mean, there's a mountain of evidence. Yeah, there's no confession. Right. There's no eyewitness, but short of that. Certainly doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. All right, so that leads us to the defense. What do you do with something like that? What do you do when you're facing a case like that? And the first thing you do is say, hey, see this mountain of evidence? It is all circumstantial. Mm-hmm. And there- that's funny. That's exactly, that's exactly what, the defendants, uh, what the defense said in their closing argument today which we watched. Uh, Russ, that's exactly right. They, they said, this is, uh, this is Caitlin Armstrong, I believe the quote they use is, is trapped in a hell of circumstantial evidence. Yeah. You know? They also said, this is a lot of sizzle and not much steak. Yep. Yeah. I, I love that line, by the way. <laughs> right. I love I haven't heard that in a that's, while. No, I haven't heard that ever. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, yeah, there were a few other one-liners that we'll get to. But yeah, I mean, so we we paid close attention to the closing arguments made by the defense. I guess, I guess let's talk a little bit, Russ, about the defense witnesses that they called. So the state, you know, they introduce um, all of this evidence. They use, I think they called 38 witnesses. You know, most of these people are forensic types who are talking about cell phone tracking and phone usage, texting, all that stuff to tie Caitlin Armstrong to this murder. Russ, uh, who did the defense call? They called a total of five witnesses. Okay. So the defense case took one day... The prosecution took, I mean, a bunch of days. Yep. Right. I think nine. So here's here's who they called. Five experts. So the first expert they called was a fingerprint expert named Erin Legrand. And now she has a very good pedigree. She was endorsed as an expert and she had worked for police departments in the past. And what she testified to was that she reviewed all of the fingerprints that were taken from this apartment and looked through them all. And none of those fingerprints matched Caitlin Armstrong. Okay. Okay. So there, there's some evidence that she didn't leave prints if she was there. Right. Okay. Right. Fair enough. No, that's not dispositive, right? I mean, no. killers wear gloves, right? Right. But it's some, but I mean, then, then it becomes, okay, if she was wearing gloves, then How why did, did she leave on DNA bike? on the bike? Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, she wasn't wearing gloves because if she was there, if you're saying she was there, right? Yep. So this is all, so this is something, this is some doubt. Then they called Austin police department officer, Gordon Neals. Now he was the guy on the 12th right the day after the murder who picked up Caitlin Armstrong and he brought her to the station for questioning. Now, if you remember in our last episode, she had an active warrant. So he picked her up on an active warrant, but they brought her in for questioning. That case ultimately got dismissed due to a clerical error, but she was questioned by the the defense about her demeanor. Right. Right. About Caitlin's demeanor. Right. Right. So officer, did she seem nervous? Did she seem upset? Did she seem anxious? Answer was no. She seemed pretty calm. And the implication from the defense standpoint is, hey, she's not nervous because she didn't just commit a crime. If you just, or commit a murder, right? If you just committed a murder and then the cops come and take you into custody and take you to the station, you should be sweating bullets. Right. And I think, I don't know, I think that kind of cuts both ways because I think uh, the prosecutor was also kind of arguing that maybe she was a little too calm. Um, you know, this is, you know, all of a sudden this person is being questioned about a murder that took place. Maybe there should have been more shock, uh, and surprise. Cause apparently she's just kind of sitting there. Even, even when the detective tells her at one point, you know, Miss Armstrong, this doesn't look good for you. She apparently just kind of nodded her head in acknowledgement. Um, so I don't know that cuts so both ways. Okay. Yeah. I still feel like overall it cuts more towards the defense, but I hear you. Yeah. All right, so third expert. Yep. 
DNA expert Matthew Quartero. Now, he he was not the first DNA DNA expert. Prosecution had called DNA people. Um, what he testified to were mainly two points. One, there was no swab from the Jeep. So they didn't, the police did not test the Jeep to see if there was DNA in the Jeep, possibly from a third party. Okay. Right? And the second reason they called this guy is to get out this fact that DNA transfer is a real thing. Like you can transfer DNA just because you find someone's DNA somewhere that doesn't necessarily mean that that person was there. Their DNA could have been transferred. Right. So, I mean, what do you think about that? Well, as a defense or... Uh, as, as a defense. I, I mean, I think that's what they had to do. Right. Um, I mean, you, you, that's one of their biggest problems in the case, right? You've got, you've literally got your client's DNA at the scene of the murder. Not good on, on a piece of evidence that we probably know was relocated in conjunction with the murder. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, because the defense really went after Colin Strickland. Um, yeah. they, they really suggested strongly that, uh, <laughs> that strongly. he had something to do with this. And we'll talk more about the DNA. But Russ, there were a couple of more witnesses that the uh, defense called, right? There were. Yeah. So the next one. So there's two more. One, Bill Tobin. He is a metallurgist. So he's an expert in metals. And he's not, not specifically an expert in firearm identification, but he has expertise in metals and how markings happen. Right. And tool he, mark testimony. Right. And, and that's important. Uh, some of you may know this, but in terms of ballistics evidence, when a gun is fired from a chamber, um, there are these things called lands and grooves that will literally indent the bullet as it travels through the chamber. And you can use those little marks to determine what kind of gun fired the bullet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like in, in every gun, every bullet fired from that gun is going to have similar markings on it. The problem is that is not very reliable, right? right. Because other guns can have similar markings in the, in the barrel, right? That's, that's, that's correct. And that's basically what they use this witness I, to I say. Think there was also, uh, some of the ballistic evidence that was recovered, like some of the bullets and casings were damaged. Like they weren't able to, okay. uh, I guess, analyze that. They weren't perfect specimens for analysis, if that makes sense. So right. they, that's why there was there was never like a conclusive, this is 100% the bullet or the, the murder weapon. Right. It was very likely that they said. Right. And that's, and that's what this guy testified. He basically testified to that firearms identification is not a science. Okay. So it's not scientifically reliable. You can say, yeah, it's consistent with it, but you can't say it's the same gun. And so that was the point of his. And that's something the defense had to put out there to try to distance Caitlin Armstrong's gun from this shooting. All right. Well, who's the fifth witness they called? That's the, that third angle you keep talking about. You think was he at right angle or maybe an acute angle? Well, I think if it was a right angle. It would be like a love square, and we'd need to find someone <laughs> well, else there, there because I don't think you're going to have a, a, you can a have right one, angle you and can, a triangle. Yeah, you definitely can. <laughs> oh wait, you can. That's an isosceles triangle. I can't believe I just said isosceles triangle. <laughs> Where did I pull that from? I mean, is that is that an isosceles or is, isosceles, is it a right triangle? That, that, is, a right, to my that is a right triangle. Uh, Isosceles is two sides the same. Oh, two sides the same. Yeah, like, uh, same length. Equilateral triangle three is where they're all the same equal. length. So like if the three people are all the exact right. same height, you, Mo Wilson, Caitlin, and Colin, then that's like an equilateral, equilateral love triangle. triangle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so this this is, I, I think you're not only getting your law, you're getting your geometry too. You're get, getting your yeah, geometry. I was going to say trig, but it's geometry. Yeah, whatever. Same thing. Yeah. All right. So Colin Strickland. So yeah. he is the last witness. He had already been called by the prosecution, but now he's called as a, def- as a defense witness. Here's, here's the difference. You know, you could have used him. You could have just gotten the same testimony out when he was on defense, right? Um, that's not a problem. You can ask him any questions about the case. So why would a defense attorney call someone again when they've already had this guy on a witness stand? I, I, I think they, from what I've seen, they want they they talked about. They have this far fetched idea that maybe he touched a helmet. Yeah, and his DA got on a helmet. It has something to do with DNA transfer. It, it does, and and here's I can I can lay it out for you. Here's here's what it is, and the reason why they might have done that as a 
strategic decision is because they wanted this in the jury's minds last, right? Recency. Who's the last person they want to hear from and what do you want to get out of it? And they got two main things out of it. Um, The first thing is Colin Strickland lies, right? And he had to admit that he lied about the affair with Mo Wilson and he did. He lied to Caitlin about it. And so, okay, He's a liar. Yeah, that's that's one thing. There was a a line from his closing right on 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 point with this. They say Colin Strickland, professional cyclist, amateur liar. <laughs> there you go. So so they're framing him, and that's again yeah, with they're, what they're beating him up. They're they're beating him up and trying to very clearly, without saying it, pin this on him. But the other thing they got from him, which is all of this DNA stuff that. We're going to go into this right after the break, but basically they got out of him that Mo Wilson was on the back of his motorcycle, on the back of my motorbike, right? Do you uh, know that song? I don't know that song. Oh, that's a super popular song. Uh, I bet uh, at least 10% of the people listening know that song. Can, can you sing more of it for us, please? I don't know can it we that well. Your, that, I'd like, I don't know how it goes. Sing for us, please. You, you want yeah, some crooning? I think I need at least a full verse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to save that maybe <laughs> for right before the outro. But, but for right now, he basically said she's on the back of his motorbike, and she, he brought an extra helmet. And that helmet had been used by Caitlin Armstrong. And she wore that helmet. And so she presumably is driving around Texas, sweating in a helmet at points, getting her DNA all over the inside of that helmet. Then she takes it off. Caitlin Armstrong's DNA, there's a good chance there's some of it on her now. Then she touches her face, transfers it to her hand. Then she touches something else. And there's, there's the argument for that. There's that explanation for the only piece of direct evidence that puts Caitlin Wilson at the scene of the crime. Okay. So we'll go into that more after the break, but for now, let's take a break and play another episode of Is This Legal? Game show time. We will be back after the break. Stay tuned. Russ, I've got a pretty important question for you. Hit me. Are... You ready to play? Is this legal? I was born ready, and I bet everyone out there listening was born ready to accept those people who don't listen to this segment and fast forward. Yeah, I see you right now. Connor, I'm looking at you, Connor. This is the time. Go ahead and press that (laughs) fast forward skip button because we're going to get into it. 30 seconds at a time. Now, for the the rest of you brave folks, uh, this is uh, where we are going to present to you our fictional legal scenario and ask you questions about it. You can play at home, play with your friends. Um, I, I hear there are whole groups of bars who get together and listen to our, uh, is like, this legal? And they, they like have trivia night around like, our podcast. <laughs> that would be I hear ama- about this. I hear these things. <laughs> That's, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, all right, Russ, uh, I think you're going to read this one today. Uh, what's, what the hell's going on with our friend Jebediah now? All right. Well, Jebediah, his moonshine bootlegging business was slowing down. So he needed some ways to put some cash in his pocket. He had a few horses and he decides to put them up for sale. Now, Officer Cornelius is coincidentally also taking a break from his law enforcement career. Hanging up the... Hanging well, up the old just, six shooter, huh? Just, he's he's like on a leave, okay. right? He's on a leave. Um, maybe, maybe just busting little petty criminals is just it, it finally ate away at him. Ate bit. away at him. All right. right. Well, he realized, you know, he he's sick of putting innocent people in jail. Probably. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> so, we all know that. So, so you know, despite his dislike for Jebediah, he decides he wants to get into horse racing, and so he he hears about these horses for sale, and he goes over to check them out. Now, he likes one of the horses, and he makes Jebediah an offer. And he says to Jebediah, Jebediah, I can't wait to enter this filly in the Northamptonshire Derby this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's bigger than the Kentucky Derby, That is a big race. The Northamptonshire Derby. (laughs) It's very festive. A lot of fun hats. (laughs) So, Jebediah says nothing. But Jebediah does know that this particular horse is absolutely not suitable for racing. Okay. Nevertheless, he accepts the money and and sells Cornelius the horse. Now, the horse in the derby does horribly 
it never even gets out of the gate. Ooh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Not not good. Um, maybe they should have like that rabbit on the inside. <laughs> maybe that would have got it going. <laughs> like, yeah, why is that just for dogs? I think that I, I feel like horse, that for horses. I feel like horses don't chase rabbits. Yeah, but really, dogs <laughs> dogs chase rabbits, but they wouldn't know. You know, it's the old expression: they wouldn't know what to do if they caught one. That's true. Well, like, yeah. they play with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, question so, for another day. So, right, so Cornelius is none too happy. Right. He sues Jebediah for breach of warranty, saying that Jebediah had a duty to inform Cornelius that the horse was not suitable for racing. Interesting. Jebediah responds in court by arguing, "Hey, he was just trying to sell a horse." He didn't, he didn't care what Cornelius was going to do with it. This goes down to the legal principle that we've mentioned before called caveat emptor. Oh, you like that Latin? I love that. I think that. if I remember right, this is your favorite legal phrase, it's, caveat emptor. It's my favorite. It, and what it means literally is buyer beware. Yeah. And it stands for the principle that if you're buying something, the risk is on you. Okay, so that's what Jebediah is arguing. That's what he's arguing. Okay, so the question then is, what does a judge do with these arguments? Yeah, does the judge say, caveat emptor, you're SOL Cornelius? Hmm, Or does he say, you know what, Jebediah, you're out of luck, and I think Cornelius has a good point here. Mm -hmm. Huh, why don't you take your high horse and ride it on out of this courtroom (laughs) kind of thing? Um, Okay, that's a a good one, Russ. Uh, Okay, so... What do our listeners think? We're going to reveal the answer momentarily. Do you think Cornelius wins? Do you think Jebediah wins? Russ, what do we think the answer is here? Well, first, I think Jebediah in court's probably going to say, Judge, we were just horsing around. <laughs> Judge, that's a horse of a different color. <laughs> Judge, you shouldn't have looked a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's enough of that for, for this episode. Look, I don't want to ride two horses uh, with my defense here, but... Uh... <laughs> uh, all right, here we go all day. We could go we all could, day. We could. Here's the answer. The answer is Cornelius wins. Yeah. He, I don't remember the last time Cornelius won. I mean, we, we definitely stack the odds against Cornelius, right. I feel like, but not today, huh? Not today. I mean, every once in a while. Okay, now wait a minute, Russ. I, I, I'm still not getting this. I totally have heard of caveat emptor, buyer beware. I mean, Cornelius saw the horse. He got a chance to inspect it. Uh, He paid for it. How the heck is Jebediah on the hook uh, for the value of the horse here? That seems unfair. Here's Here's the issue, and here's why Cornelius wins. Cornelius, when he told Jebediah the use of the horse, he said, I can't wait to enter this filly in the Northamptonshire Derby this weekend. He let Jebediah know what the use was for that horse. Jebediah knew the horse was not suitable for that use. Because Jebediah still sold it after knowing the use and knowing it wasn't suitable for that use, that is an exception to the principle of caveat emptor, and that puts the onus on Jebediah to say, hey, Cornelius, this horse isn't for you. Th- that's absolutely right. Um, if you want to get really legal, uh, the, the, t- the phrase we're looking at here is implied condition as to quality or fitness. Jebediah implied yeah. that this horse was suitable for racing by not correcting Cornelius when Cornelius said, hey, this is the, the sole reason right. I'm buying this horse. I think, Russ, would, would this have been different if Cornelius had said nothing? It would have. It absolutely would have. Because at that point, um, Jebediah has no idea what... Then Jebediah's uh, argument that, hey, I didn't care. I didn't know what he was going to do with it. I didn't care. Then that would be fine. Absolutely. So, so look, the legal advice that we're going to impart with you is whenever you buy anything at all, you need to tell the seller, I am going to race this item in the Northamptonshire Derby <laughs> this weekend, and I wanna, I'm going to win that race. Yeah. And if this apple doesn't get me that victory, yep. Uh, yep. I'm suing you. Yeah, there you go. And if they sell it to you anyway, you're in good shape. <laughs> you're, you're, sue their ass. Sound legal advice from oh. Colin McCallum. <laughs> <laughs> Legal advice, maybe not sound legal advice, more like unsound legal advice, but uh, the answer is clear enough. How'd you do at home? Did you get that one right? Um, 
you know, you're on a win streak, losing streak. If not, listen next week. Exactly. You, you, have can always, shot. you can always turn that ship around. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Be back after the break. Welcome back, everyone. So we are going to dive right back into this case and talk more about that DNA. You know, we talked about the witness that the uh, defense brought up about the DNA, and we talked about what their theory is um, about the motorcycle ride and the helmet and the transference. Now, here's, here's the issue with that, Colin. The issue with that is twofold. First, Things like skin cells, which is what we're talking about, DNA and skin cells, does not transfer nearly as well as things like saliva, for example. Or blood. Or blood, right. Any bodily bodily fluids, really. Mm -hmm. Like that stuff lasts longer, sticks around more, transfers more, there's more of it. So the first problem with the defense theory is, all right, it's, it's not that common to have transference of skin cells, which is what they're saying this was. The second problem is the number of transfers that would have had to have taken place. Right. Like, cause we're talking about, you can count them because they, she rode the helmet to the pool, then got in the water. So any DNA on her would have washed off. Mm-hmm. So then what you have is a ride back with mm-hmm. the helmet. So she would have had to have had the ride back with the helmet. It transfers again to her hair, her face. She then touches her face. She then touches the bike. That is a lot of transfers of DNA. Yeah. And that is extremely, it's a long shot. Well, you mentioned the key word when you were kind of introducing this argument. It's a theory, Russ. They don't have any evidence to show how that DNA got on the bike. It's a theory. Right. That it was transferred. I mean, with all due respect to the defense, they acknowledged in their closing argument that they didn't really know. I mean, I heard the defense attorney say, well, you know, it could have been transference. It could have been lab contamination. I don't know, Russ. To me, I think that's kind of the kitchen sink approach where you're saying, we don't know how this happened. We're just going to say it happened. I hear you, but that's what you have to do, right? Because and ultimately, it's not their burden. Right, it's not the defense's burden to prove it. They don't have to prove who did it. Right, they just yeah, have no, to say you're, there's. You're enough. absolutely right. Th- their goal here is just to get the jury thinking about right. something. They're, right. they're they're really just trying to get them to latch on any any piece of possible doubt that right. they can. I'm just saying to me, it doesn't shot. exactly blow my skirt up. No, you know? it's it's a long shot. So, um, Russ, what else? So let's let's talk a little bit about Colin Strickland as the possible murderer yeah this um in in the last podcast that we did we did predict that the defense was going to go after colin strickland i personally am amazed at how aggressively they did that okay um first of all they absolutely suggested to the jury in their closing argument without saying that he was the murderer that that this was that this was somehow him that this could have been him in the black Jeep right. getting there uh, that night, you know, that, well, that, that he had a motive to kill her, that he had also, and he did, he had a, a gun that was of the same make as the one that Caitlin Armstrong got because they, they, they were purchased together by Colin Strickland. Yeah, it solves a lot of the defense's problems if it's plausible at all, right? right? It solves the DNA because Colin would certainly have Caitlin's DNA on him, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, it solves he would have presumably had access to her Jeep, like all, all these things. Here, here's another one that they, they talked about. They did a sexual assault examination kit on Mo Wilson, um, so yeah. that's where they they swab her genital area to see whether or not there's any recoverable DNA from another source. This is obviously very important in any sort of sexual assault, sexual assault case. Russ, they they took a rape kit, but they never tested it. They never they never tested the DNA, and that was something that the defense made a huge deal about because, again, without specifically naming Colin Strickland, they were suggesting that maybe. If he was the murderer, he might have sexually assaulted her. And we're never going to know because they never did a rape kit. Well, well, so here's real quick. Here's another thing they never did. They never swabbed the Jeep for DNA. 
Right. Right. So that's another thing. So the the defense is sitting here saying, "Hey, you went through the trouble trouble of taking this rape kit, this this DNA samples, and you never tested it, and." You should have tested it because it could have shown a third party. It should, could have shown Colin Strickland. It could have shown a whole new motive yeah. for why this happened. And the Jeep, it could have shown a, a third. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think they should have swabbed the Jeep. I, I, that's tested one where it, yeah. I think oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think when I, you know, when I was listening to that in argument, I, I was sitting there kind of like, yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense to me. Now, the prosecution, um, their rebuttal for why they didn't test the Jeep is because what we're going to find DNA profiles from anybody who was ever inside that Jeep. Right. Those people aren't suspects for murder. Right. Uh, those people don't have motive to murder. And, and by the way, you know, none of those people have the ties that Caitlin Armstrong has to this case. Right. You know, so, you know, the defense on the one hand is saying, well, they, they should have tested this and look for these people prosecution saying we didn't need to do that um it that that information wouldn't have been helpful to us yeah no what did they say about the uh, rape kit russ about the rape kit they said you know what yeah maybe we could have and should have tested that but there was no evidence of a sexual assault they, they didn't they didn't even concede that they should have tested i mean basically i thought i saw they did no maybe not I, I think the detective i mean he was asked about it he was grilled about it and his response was look we had absolutely no evidence that it, there was a sexual assault um and and they they did have forensic data to back that up russ i mean we we they were able to track mo wilson when she was with colin strickland because remember they had dinner right. that night the night of her murder they had they had dinner. They went swimming together, and then he took her back to uh, her apartment. And notably, he dropped her off at her apartment. He didn't go inside and spend any time with her in the apartment. And we know this because when she got in her apartment, we actually know when she entered because her door, it's a smart lock, and it, it will okay. notify the owner of the home when someone enters or exits. So we know when Mo Wilson entered the home. And then they were able to look at her phone. She was on her phone from the time she entered the apartment to the time she was killed. The point I'm making, Russ, is there was no time. There, there was no time or opportunity for her to have been sexually assaulted by anybody. Yeah. She was found with her clothes on yeah. after she had been murdered. So you know, the, the prosecution was kind of saying, look, we were thorough. We tested everything, but we, we didn't think this had anything to do with the sexual assault. Well, and the prosecution also said, hey, the defense had the ability to test this. Right. And that was something where you know I, I heard that in their closing argument, and- it's close to shifting Bird the burden, yeah. right? And I'm surprised there wasn't an objection there. Honestly, yeah, that's that's tough because the prosecution is not supposed to suggest that the defense should be able to prove innocence. Caitlin's innocence. Right. It's the sole burden of the state to prove her guilt. Right. You know, so th- I, I think that could have been sustained if there was an objection made, but the defense didn't object. Didn't make the objection. So ultimately, no evidence. Uh, and going back to what you said about Colin, not only do we know that she was on her phone and there wasn't time for it, what we also know is that Colin Strickland, from tracking his phone, we know that he was on his way back to South Austin, and then at the time of the murder, he was actually on his phone. We, yeah, it, and Russ, to supplement that, he's seen on video in his car in a completely different area than uh, where the murder took place yeah. at the time of the at the time of the murder. And of course, we know Caitlin's Jeep was still there. And that's another thing. What are they saying? Is it, again, they're throwing a lot of things at the wall here. Yeah. Are are they saying okay? This this could have been Colin Strickland, and he could have taken Caitlin's Jeep. Okay. Acknowledging that for a second, then who the heck was driving Colin Strickland's <laughs> right. car? Right. 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 You know, like th- there's, there's little pieces that kind of crumble apart when you really start to look at them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you just one last thing, because part of the defense's argument was that this was just a sloppy investigation overall. Rape kit wasn't tested. Jeep wasn't swabbed. Also, Colin Strick- Strickland's laptop was never searched. And again, that's something that police could have done. Maybe they should have, but they said, well, we, he wasn't a suspect, you right. know, so why do it? A couple more things on Colin. I mean, they really grilled this guy. I mean, you know, they, there, there were questions from the defense like, hey, uh, is it your typical MO to sleep with cyclists that you're mentoring? Kind of suggesting that this guy was just a really bad boyfriend, that he was a liar, that he was a manipulator. Um, again, really, any any opportunity they could cash in yeah. on Colin Strickland, they, they took that opportunity here and just about accused him of murder without really doing it. 
Um, so we'll see. I don't know how he came across. Of course, we didn't have cameras in the courtroom, but that was, that was certainly something that they went after. Um, Russ, let's talk about the defense and, and how they approached what I think, what, what I believe you called, was the most damning category of evidence in this entire case, which is Caitlin Armstrong's flight from the U.S. to Costa Rica. Uh, let's talk about that. What, what was the defense explanation for that? <laughs> the the defense explanation for that was um, it ties into what we've been saying about them grilling Colin Strickland, right? That he was the one or right. someone else was. They basically said she fled because she was afraid. Yeah. She was scared. She was scared of Colin Strickland. She was generally scared of, you know, what's happening right now with her being being illegitimately charged with murder. Right. Right? She was scared, and yep. that's why she fled, and that's why she tried to escape. Well, the the escape, though, that flies in the face of her, you know, being scared of Colin Strickland. Right. You could see I'm <clears throat> going to Costa Rica to get away from this bad guy, Colin Strickland, who who murdered Mo Wilson already. Yeah, but your second escape attempt. 19 you, days before your trial. Yeah, you're, you're not, you're trying to run into the neighborhood in the city that Colin lives. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's not fear of him. I mean, again, the defense really didn't um, blow my skirt up with their explanation yeah. here either, Russ. Um you know, they, I think they just kind of said, look, it's human nature to kind of, when you're afraid to run. And, uh, Caitlin was afraid. And again, they absolutely suggested that she was afraid of Colin Strickland because he might be the real killer. Yeah. They didn't come out and say that, but yeah. they certainly implied it. Now they didn't get into, from what I could tell watching the argument, they didn't talk about the rhinoplasty at all. Yeah. Uh, they didn't talk about, about the plastic surgery. They didn't talk about living under the fake name, but they all kind of tied it. Okay. She's, she's acting out of fear. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's what they, they really, I'll, I'll tell you, they, they really didn't have any good options. No. I mean, that is, like I said, for me, the most damning evidence. Um, and they didn't have a lot to go with there. No, I, I, I would agree with that. So, that's it. Uh, jury has the case. Um, Russ, do we do we want to talk about? I guess do do we want to amend our predictions that we made on the first podcast? You know, for me, I'll let you go first. Yeah, for me, it's really. I think the prosecution did a really good job on the case. I think they did a good job rebutting all of these defense arguments, which is to say. These are all red herrings. These are speculations without evidence. And use your common sense. What happened here, you know. All of this circumstantial evidence points to Caitlin Armstrong. My prediction stays the same. I think that she gets convicted, and I think she gets convicted quickly. I agree with everything you just said, Russ. This this is um it's this, the, the phrase has been used throughout this trial. There's there's a mountain of evidence against Caitlin Armstrong in this case. Um, and, and I do think, you know, the defense probably did what they could with this case. I, yeah. you know, um, tough case, really tough case if you're a defense attorney, but all, all of this evidence points one way, right, right yeah. at Caitlin Armstrong. And I just do not see a scenario where she escapes a first degree murder conviction in this. And, and I'll just throw it out there for all our listeners. Hey, we were already right on one prediction because Caitlin Armstrong did not testify. That's right. She did not take the stand in her own defense, which which does, is not a surprise to us at no. all. Uh, there, that would have been a huge mistake. I think it would have been catastrophic. I don't think she can be believed. So, um, it, it, you know, tragic case, but a very interesting case. Has a lot of uh, legal stuff that kind of come uh, came with it. I mean, again, another example, Russ. Of <laughs> we joke about this when we talk about you know kind of recent murders, but how difficult it is to get away successfully with murder just. Because of the trail that your phone, that your possessions, yeah. that your car, right, that your DNA, that your friends. Behind, I mean, every that, friend that who you you tell you're going to yeah. kill someone is out there, perhaps going to go to the cops. Right, right. You can't trust them. No, you can't trust any of your friends anymore. No. no. What is the world coming to? Yeah. Um, so okay, well, uh, so we I think we both are in agreement. We're I'm going to go so far as to say it, it, we're recording this uh, the afternoon of Thursday. 16th. The 16th. We're going to have a verdict on this by the end of the day. That's uh, And she's going to get convicted. That's my prediction. So we'll see if we're right. Uh, but uh, Russ, I think it's time to, you know, get a little silly. 
tickle the old silly bone, the old funny bone, the old humor bone. Russ, it is time for... Dumb criminal of the week. Russ, we're going to New York. New York City. All right. Um, so this is a good one. Uh, we've got three DCOTWs today. Ooh. I don't know their names. Do we want to do New York names? Maybe at nah. the end. Think, yeah, of, yeah, think yeah. of some okay. New York in the back of your head. Bruno. Okay, there's one. Yeah. Um, so three gentlemen, one of them is named Bruno, uh, decide to rob a check cashing place in Queens, New York. And boy, they actually got away with this, Russ. They got away with $200,000. Uh, like many robbers before them, they decide wisely to conceal their identities with masks during this robbery. But they don't use just any masks, Russ. They they use these very expensive Hollywood type of pullover masks uh, to look like real people. I'm talking like Mission Impossible style. Wow. Okay. okay. So um, the police are able to, to determine uh, this by using high def video that was obtained from inside this business. And um, in addition, one of the burglars left a, a Walgreens photo that the police were able to trace to one of the three burglars. Um, and being thorough, though, uh, the police investigators contacted a Hollywood prop shop in Queens called CFX that happens to deal in these really high-end Hollywood masks, and they request email records from customers who recently purchased such masks, okay? Okay. So, Russ, they're able to find an email address uh, by getting these records that matches the name that was recovered from the Walgreens photo that one of these idiots left behind at the robbery. Okay. And uh, this customer uh, <laughs> sent two emails to the store of note. <laughs> In the first email, which occurred before the robbery, he asked CFX if his order would still arrive as, at his accomplice's Jamaica home uh, on schedule before the robbery. And in the second email communication, which he sent after the robbery, he, he said this, I'm writing a message to say that I am extremely pleased <laughs> by the mask that CFX sells. The realism of this mask is absolutely unbelievable. Awesome. So he basically left a customer review after this robbery, after pulling 200K out of this business and said, hey, thanks. This mask worked really, really good. All three were arrested these guys went to jail for 32 years, Russ. They must have had some priors. Yeah, they must have had priors. Um, but they were able to recover this because uh, of these uh, of this thank you note that this uh, robber <laughs> left the business saying, "Hey, these masks work. These masks work great." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Russ, um, that's uh, that's the DCOTW here. Um, what do you think? I think you could say this heist wasn't. Picture perfect. Once the police came face to face with the evidence, <laughs> there was one way this was going, right, Russ? <laughs> they were able to uh, unmask this caper. <laughs> All right, Russ. Um, so, uh, what do we give our three DC t- DCOTWs? Okay, so Bruno, two other Tony De- De- and Devito, and Devito. All right, uh, so Bruno, Tony, and Devito. What do we give them? So I'm going to give um, Bruno. He's the one who got the masks and <laughs> sent the emails. So I'm going to give him a three. I honestly think this was more good police work than yeah. dumb criminals. I mean, they weren't smart, but they weren't. They did get away with 200K. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they did so, a lot better than most of our people. I, I'm giving him a three out of five knuckleheads. And DeVito and Tony, I'm giving them a two, mostly for associating themselves with Bruno. See, I feel like it was DeVito who was the one who sent the emails, oh, you man. Think so? so, yeah, okay. I think I'm going to yeah. make him my, my, my idiot number one. Um, but you know, in fairness, they did get away with this thing until they were uncovered. I think, uh, I'm going to dock them though. In this respect, I think they just used way too specific masks, right. man. It was not I mean, smart. what's wrong with the simple balaclava? You're going with this high end Hollywood stuff. Easily that, trackable. Uh, whoa. Rookie yeah. mistake, man. It's true. So I'm going to give them four. 
Okay. Um, and, and, a, and a four, because obviously they had priors. They went to jail so long. What are you doing? Committing armed robbery. And yeah. Not okay. getting away with Fair. it. You know? Fair. So four knuckleheads for uh, those three New York uh, idiots. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to put another episode of Is This Legal to Rest? Russ, uh, where can people find us? You can find us on X. It is this legal pod that used to be Twitter. You can find us at uh, email us at denvercrimelawgmail.com or on Facebook at Habits McKellen. Yeah. Um, we hope that you have a lovely Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, we'll probably not have an episode until after Thanksgiving break, I'm guessing, but it'll. we should be back uh, early December to figure out what we're going to talk about next. In the meantime, stay safe and healthy. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Johnny Law looked at me, said, Jebediah, can't you see them things you're doing just ain't right, going around this town, stirring up a fright. Guy. I said I may not 